Hey, I'm Zach. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. I hope that it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore, whether that's coming to one of our Sunday gatherings or coming to one of our Restore groups. Either way, we would love to see you. You can get more information about that on our website at RestoreAustin.org. And I hope you enjoyed this week's video. Different from the John that wrote the book, this is talking about John the Baptist. Verse 6 says there was a man sent from God. He wasn't the light himself, meaning he wasn't Jesus, but he was a witness to the light. And we first meet John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And that was John's message as a witness to this light of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Does that sound familiar? Well, it might because Jesus would say the exact same phrase just one chapter later. And by this time, John's ministry, this ministry of telling people about the light that was to come, has ended. He's been put in prison and he would soon be killed for telling people about Jesus. But as John's ministry ends, Jesus' begins. As the one who was telling people about the light dies, the true light comes into the world and begins to illuminate the darkness. Matthew 4 
Starting in verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So Matthew here begins to quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That was where Jesus went. Here's why Jesus came. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is light dawning on people living in darkness, and his message is very clear. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, these concepts of kingdom and light that we're talking about, I said that they're pervasive throughout Scripture. They're also interwoven throughout Scripture. They work together because that's what Jesus' kingdom is, light invading darkness. In fact, that's exactly how Paul describes it in Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus. That is the kingdom of light. That's what Jesus did. He brought the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness, and he turned everything upside down. So for the next few weeks, we're going to dive into the series called Upside Down Kingdom. And it is a look at the kingdom of God and how it relates to, and many times, don't miss this, contrasts the world that we live in today. As Jesus revealed his kingdom during his time on earth, it flew in the face of first century society, and it flies in the face of our society as well. Jesus was countercultural. Jesus was a revolutionary. His kingdom is radically different from ours, radically different. And how did he reveal his kingdom? Not with governments, not with armies. He did it with stories. He called these stories Parables, Matthew 13, 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. Again, a quote from the prophet of the Old Testament. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Each week in this series, we're going to look at one of Jesus' stories, one of his parables about this kingdom of light that he talks so much about. And as we look at these stories, my prayer for us is that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, illuminates things hidden since the creation of the world. That he reveals things to us, maybe for the very first time, that he teaches us, that he instructs us, that he encourages us, that he changes us. My hope is that at the end of studying all of these parables of God's kingdom together, that we would be different. And we would get to see Christ's beautiful light begin to invade the darkness. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the first parable. God, thank you for simply who you are. I thank you that you are light, that you came into the world as light, light that invades darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God, I pray, as we just said, that you would begin to illuminate things in our lives and any dark parts in our life, that you would illuminate those, that your light would invade them. If 
there are any dark parts in our society, in our world, that we can make a difference in, that God, you would send us out to be your light in dark places. And that we would walk away this morning and each morning that we open your word together forever changed. And a little bit more like your kingdom, a little bit less like this one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to prepare for this series, uh, Matt and I went out on to South Congress and we asked people a series of questions, kind of a question about each of the parables that we're going to look at together. And the question is really not, there aren't any right or wrong answers. It's not um, exactly what the parable is about. It's kind of a paraphrase. And so this week's question is going to be right on the screen. Here's the first question. What is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? Money. What is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? Susie, what is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? Tacos. <laughs> I like it. Anything besides taco? Oh, uh, I guess music. <laughs> I like that answer. All right, Stephen, what is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? I'd have to say music as well, because we're both musicians. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't do it. yeah, I couldn't do it without music. What is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, too much of everything, except money. But that won't make me happy, will it? I don't know. What is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? Friends. First one is, what is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? Um, inner peace. What is something that if you had enough of it, you would be completely happy? Love. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm sure that as you watch that, um, a few answers to that question popped into your head in your life, too. Things like peace, money, time, friends, maybe even something we would have to bleep out. I don't know. <laughs> But like I said, one of the things that we told each participant before we started the interview is that there are no right or wrong answers. And it was interesting because after I heard the answer to each question, I really kept finding myself thinking, yeah, that would be nice, you know? Like all the money in the world, all the friends in the world. And, and, and my mind would kind of carry out what that would end up looking like in my life. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd never have to stress again. I wouldn't have to work anymore. I wouldn't, Amy wouldn't have to work. We could just do whatever we wanted. We could just hang out. We could just help people. We could give money away. We could, we could do whatever we wanted. If I had all the time in the world, I'd never be in a rush. I'd never have to get anywhere. I'd never have to worry about needing to get this done before this happens or be stressed about time. If I had tons of friends, I would never have to worry about what people thought of me. I could just be myself. I could be real, I could be authentic around people. I wouldn't have to worry about them not being my friend anymore because I just had tons and tons and tons of them. We all have things that we wish for, things we want, things that we think we need, things that we spend our lives chasing after. And our society perpetuates this. On average, an American sees 5,000 advertisements per day. 5,000 thousand advertisements 
per day, and those 5,000 ads have a singular message. You need this to be happy. You need this to be happy. And it starts the moment that we come out of the womb. In 1983, marketers did a study, and they found out that $100 million a year was spent on advertising to children. $100 million. That's kind of a lot. 1983. In 2004, the last time they did the study, the number had jumped to $17 billion in marketing to children. And that was 13 years ago. I'm sure it's gone down since then. We've stopped advertising to children. Our society is consumed with the pursuit of more, more money, more relationships, more stuff, more everything, because we think that if we can just get whatever it is, we're going to be happy. We're finally going to be satisfied. It's not just an issue in our society. It's been a problem for thousands of years. Think about it. It was Eve's problem, wasn't it? God made Eve and brought her alongside her husband Adam in this beautiful garden, perfection, paradise. She had everything that she could have ever wanted, except one thing. She wanted to eat of this tree that God told her not to eat of. So when the serpent came and said, hey, don't you want this? I know that you have everything else that you could ever want, but there's this one fruit that you can't try. Don't you want to try it? She said yes. It was David's problem. David had everything he could ever want, and he was king of a lot of things during his time. He had riches. He had palaces. He was wealthier than any of us could imagine. Everything he ever wanted, he's walking on the top of his castle one night, and I'm sure he's thinking, wow, what a what a beautiful kingdom I'm in charge of. I have everything that I could ever want. Ooh, except her. She's beautiful. I wonder if I could have her, too. And he went after Bathsheba, had an affair, and began to eat away at this life that he built. It was Judas's problem. Judas got to walk and talk with the Savior, with Jesus Christ, spent his entire ministry life with him, but then for 30 pieces of silver... He sold out one of his best friends and the savior of the world. This was such a problem in the time of Jesus that he addressed it head on. This morning, we're going to look at the parable of the rich fool found in Luke 12, starting in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? So verse 1 of this chapter tells us that Jesus, during this time, is in the middle of teaching thousands of people. And during this time, he's teaching this, a guy stands up in the middle of this group and he says, I, I need help, you need to settle a dispute between me and my brother. He owes me money. Just like us, just like so many of us, this man thought if he could just get a little bit more money, he would be satisfied. But Jesus rebukes this way of thinking. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I absolutely love that last line. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then, like he did so often, Jesus told a story, a parable, to drive this point home. Verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, 
You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The first thing that always strikes me about this story is the fact that the guy tears down his own storage barns to build new ones because he has so much stuff and he just wants to hoard it and keep it. It's insane. No one would ever do that, right? How, how much storage does one person really need for all their stuff? Did you know that there is a $32.7 billion annual industry in the United States for self-storage? $32.7 billion a year is spent every year on storage outside of our homes. And that's just for 2016, over 2.65 billion square feet of our country is covered with storage units. The rich fool may have invented bigger building, bigger storage units, but we perfected it. <laughs> we perfected it. Why? Because we are absolutely obsessed with stuff, we're obsessed with more because every single one of the 5,000 advertisements we see each day tells us that whatever they are selling will make us happy and that we won't be satisfied until we get it. And we believe those lies. We do. We see them and we think, I know I have something that maybe is similar to that or I know I have a lot of stuff, but if I could just get that one thing, I bet it would finally make I bet if I could drive that gorgeous car, I bet girls would really flock to me. Really gorgeous girls would come and just sit in my car all the time. <laughs> if, if I could just get this one straightener that I just had to run through my hair one time, that's not a problem for me, obviously, but for other people. I know I would look beautiful enough that everyone would finally love me. I'd start to get invited to these beautiful parties. Look at that girl. She used that straightener, and now she's hanging out at the White House. She's at the party. She's doing everything. That could be me. We believe the lies that are told to us, that are perpetuated to us by society, the lie that is simply, if you have this, you will be satisfied. We pursue more and more and more, hoping that someday it will be enough that we can, just like the rich fool, sit back and say to ourselves, self, I have plenty for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be married. But what happened to the rich fool? Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rich fool's whole life was in those storage barns. Everything that he'd worked for, everything that he'd pursued, sat in those big bins outside of his house. But when his time came, he couldn't take it with him. There are very few places in the Bible where God calls someone a fool, and it's, it's a striking, striking term, especially for something so seemingly innocent as just, you know, having a lot of stuff, being preoccupied with possessions, but God uses this strong language because the rich fool, he was a fool for one reason. He was a fool because he thought something besides Jesus could satisfy. That's why he was a fool. It's that simple. He wasn't a fool because he was rich. Listen to me. The only thing wrong with wealth is holding on to it with clenched fists and pursuing it with reckless abandon because you think it will satisfy you. It won't. 
He wasn't a fool because he saved up his possessions. No, he was a fool because he thought that something besides Jesus could satisfy him. And here's the hard question that each of us need to answer. Are we being fools too? Are we being fools too? Are we believing the lie that those 5,000 ads are telling us each day? Are we storing our things for ourselves and hoping that they'll make us happy? Are we trusting in something besides Jesus to satisfy us? What are you asking to satisfy you? Because if it isn't Jesus, it simply won't. You will spend all of your time, you will spend your entire life chasing more and more and more until you come to the end. One of my favorite pastor and authors, James Montgomery Boyce, says this, everything you have must one day be left behind. It is yours now to use or abuse, but one day it will be taken from you and you will stand naked before him who is your maker. How will you stand in that day? I wept as I rewatched the interviews this week. I cried because I watched person after person who believed the lie that something besides Jesus would satisfy them. I cried because if their life was required of them that night, they would stand empty before God because they spent all of their lives pursuing something, money, relationships, music, peace, friends, something that they thought would satisfy them only to find out on that day, that day that their life was required of them, that it won't. It won't. Are you believing the lie? Because if you are, the consequences are dire. Jesus ends with a warning in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, Jesus contrasts two statements in this verse, storing up things for ourselves and being rich toward God. So I think it's important to think about it and know what does being rich toward God really mean? And, and this is where I think it's really easy to feel overwhelmed. Because being rich toward God can mean a lot of things. And I've heard pastors and teachers for years and years and years saying that being rich toward God is some combination of, of this big checklist that every Christian is supposed to do. What being a good Christian is supposed to look like, going to church, reading your Bible, giving money to people in need, giving money to your church, going on a mission trip, praying before your meals, and on and on and on. And it's only after all of those boxes are checked that you can sit back and say, I, I'm rich toward God now. I used to chase these other things, but now, full focused, 100%, I'm, ro I'm rolling through that checklist, and finally I can be rich toward God. But that's simply not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the moment that you say yes to Jesus, the moment that you become a part of his family, you become his child. Through the power of Christ, you become his holy, righteous child. Peter talks about this power that comes on us and what it really does in the life of a Christian in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We have everything we need for life and for godliness. We don't have to chase it anymore. Through these, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises. Promises like 
an abundant and full life. Promises like peace that surpasses all understanding. Promises like unconditional love and acceptance as his son or daughter. He has given us these precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature means that Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has come to live inside of us. We are partakers of the divine nature. He is our comforter. He is our help in time of need. He is our guide when we are searching. We don't need anything else because we have Jesus. We have Jesus by his Holy Spirit who resides inside of us. We are partakers of the divine nature now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The people who are selling you things, the, the marketers may be sitting out here. Some of you are in marketing are like, this is a little harsh. <laughs> people are not bad people. But I tell you that for a lot of them, they've bought the same lie that they're selling. Because they think that if they can just get enough people to buy their product, they can get enough money that they can sit back and be easy and take life slow and do whatever they want. If you are a part of the family of God, those verses that Peter described, that divine power that has given you everything you need for life and godliness, that is true of you. Not by anything that you've done, not by working through a checklist, but because you simply surrendered to Jesus and said, I am yours. Please be mine. Jesus has given you everything you need for life. The world, the world is screaming, you need more at us. And every advertisement on social media, on television, on the radio, I was reading this book earlier this week, and the author was talking about that advertisements are no longer um, limited to television or radio or things like that. You walk into a bar, and somebody buys you a drink, and there's a good chance that that person was placed there by the alcohol company to help sell drinks. Advertisements are in our movies now. Advertisements are in our books. They're everywhere that we look, and they're telling us one singular message. You need this to be happy. The world is screaming at us. You need more while Jesus gently whispers in our ear, you have everything you need in me. You have everything that you need in me. Don't believe the lie. Because being rich in this world is temporary. It's fleeting. Someday, you're going to stand naked before God. Being rich toward God is everlasting. Let's pray. God, as we look at this story of the rich fool, I, I'm always struck again by how you did call him a fool and how seemingly harsh that is. But God, how foolish is it truly to believe that something besides you can satisfy? Uh, this morning, as we leave here, as we go on to whatever is next, I pray that you would convict us, that you would illuminate with your light any dark places in our lives where we are believing a lie, where we're searching for something other than you to satisfy us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're all finished.
this this morning, but um, we're a church that we always want to create safe spaces for you to to do business with God, to talk with Him, to pray with Him, to commune with Him. So Matt's going to stick around and play his guitar, and then he's going to play piano. And if you'd like to stay and, and pray or think or just sit quietly and work through some things, this is a space for you to be able to do that. I want you to be able to just sit here and do that. You're welcome to stay as long as you want. If you haven't ever experienced the peace that comes with knowing that Jesus has given you everything that you need, if you're someone that is bought into the lie that society tells us that something other than Jesus will satisfy you and you're tired of chasing you're tired of believing the lie. You're tired of accumulating things that think that you think will make you happy that never do. If that's you, and you want to talk to someone about that, I would love to talk with you about that. I'm going to be out here in the foyer area as you leave. Just grab me. If you have questions about that, my heart is to see you freed from that burden. Because I have been, and it's been the most amazing thing that's ever So we're all finished this morning. If you'd like to stick around and stay and pray and do anything else, feel free to do that. But if not, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for being here.